1: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hemrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 2 Corinthians.
2: If you understand God and His economy of things in the universe, There are some basic foundational principles we need to understand about material things. Okay? So, for those of you who like to take notes, here's the first thing. The grace of giving, number one, everything belongs to the Lord. We are owners of nothing but stewards of everything. Everything belongs to God. Everything you have, the car you drive, the house you live in, the food you eat, it is all from the hand of God. It all belongs to God. How
1: often do we truly live as though everything we have belongs to God? Even when we say with sincere hearts we would give it all for Him, we're saying that like we have some sort of control over what we keep. Pastor Gary said everything is His, our house, our car, our food, and he's right. So if your car belongs to God, will you use it differently? How about your house? Does knowing it belongs to God help you see it in a different light? Can you think of a way to use the things He gave you for His glory? At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection, subscribe to the podcast, or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 7 with today's edition
2: of Cornerstone Connection. So he's saying to the church here in Corinth, he says, let me tell you about your brothers and sisters in Thessalonica and Philippi in Macedonia. He says, boy... They are a model church for generosity. He says, in their overflowing joy, that's verse 2, and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us. Can you imagine that? That that is like the sweetest music to a pastor's ears. When people beg the pastor, how can I give more, pastor? Oh, praise God. Paul's like, they urgently pleaded with us. We just want to keep giving. Yeah, but you don't have much. Yeah, we know, but the little bit we have, we just want to give. Okay? They are urgently pleading with Paul. Can we give Can we give some more? Because we just love. Because he says, the church at Thessalonica and Philippi, they understood. They understood something about the discipline, the spiritual discipline of generosity. You can't outgive God. And the more you give, the more that he blesses your life. Now listen, you don't give in order to get. That should never be the motivation. But God is just so faithful to us that when we give to him through a church, through a ministry, he's always so good to take care of us. You can't outgive God. And Paul is stretching the church of Corinth. He says, "I want you I want you to grow. He says, "I want you to excel," he says there in verse 7, "in the grace of giving just like you would excel. Look again at verse 7. Just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us. All right? Now, most people would read a list like I just read there, and you'd probably say to yourself, Yeah, I need to grow in the area of my speech. You know, I need to discipline my tongue better. I, you know, I, I need to make sure that things that come out of my mouth, that not gossip, not slander, you know, not cursing, I, I need to say things that are good. Yes, Lord, grow me in the area of my speech. Yes, Lord, grow me in, in my faith. Yes, Lord, grow me in earnestness for the cause of Christ. Grow me in my love for others. Yes. But Paul actually lumps the principle of giving in with those spiritual concepts, he says, just like you excel in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in earnestness, and in your complete love for one another, I want you to excel in the grace of giving. Now, this is a topic that is found throughout the Bible. There are roughly 2,350 verses in the Bible concerning money. This is roughly twice as many verses than there are on faith and prayer combined in the Bible. Jesus spoke more about the stewardship of money than he spoke about heaven and hell combined. The only subject Jesus spoke more about than the issue of material things was the kingdom of God. 16 out of 38 parables that Jesus taught, almost half of the parables that Jesus taught dealt with money or material possessions. Why? Because God wants us to understand that there is a direct correlation between a person's spiritual life and his or her attitudes concerning material things. There's a correlation. And we cannot go through our spiritual lives under the illusion that there isn't, because there is. It is reflected in the way that we handle material things. Now, I'm aware, let me just say right up front, okay, Because I already know whenever this subject is broached, some of you start to get restless. Oh, no, and I brought a friend tonight. I'm not going to ask for your money, all right? Don't worry about it. But I do know why some people bristle and they get a little uncomfortable and they squirm a little bit about this topic, okay? Two reasons. Number one, because the church, and I don't mean our church, because I hope if you've been here very long, you know we don't beg for money, okay? But the church in general can be guilty overall of begging for people's money, and people get tired of hearing about that. And some people who have been exposed to that, Think that that's all churches do? Who don't know better? Their concept of church is they're just money hungry people, and you know when you go and all they want is to shake you down and get you know take your money. Okay, so some people are uncomfortable with the topic because that's their unfortunate misperception of the church. But I got to be honest with you. The other reason why some people are uncomfortable with the topic is because let's just be real. You think your money belongs to you. And so whenever anybody talks to you about the idea of giving and being generous, there's something in, again, it's a fleshly thing. It's an instinctive fleshly thing. There's something in us that kind of recoils. It says, don't, don't tell me what to do. This is mine. You know, I made this. I earned it. I deserve it. This is mine. There are some fundamental things as a Christian, okay? I'm going to give you four fundamental things. This does not apply to people who aren't Christians. If you are a follower of Christ, if you understand God and his economy of things in the universe, there are some basic foundational principles we need to understand about material things. Okay, So for those of you who like to take notes, here's the first thing. The grace of giving, number one, everything belongs to the Lord. We are owners of nothing but stewards of everything. Everything belongs to God. Everything you have, the car you drive, the house you live in, the food you eat, it is all from the hand of God. It all belongs to God. So we have to be very careful in recognizing that this is God's. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And even if, even if you think to yourself, no, I, I worked hard for this. This is mine. Well, there's a Bible verse for that too. Because in Deuteronomy 8.18, it says, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. In other words, the very fact that you have money in your pocket or in your bank account or that you own anything is because God has gifted you with the abilities and the skills to earn an income. That your very ability to make a living comes from God. Whether you want to acknowledge it or not, it just does. Your skill comes from above. So everything belongs to God. That's foundational principle number one. Number two, along these lines, since everything belongs to God, we must honor him with what he has given us. If it's all his, I have to take good care of it, and I have to honor him with what he has given us. Proverbs 3.9 specifically says, honor the Lord with your wealth. Since we're talking about this subject... You know, that's an applicable verse, but we are to honor God with everything. But in the context of generosity, Proverbs 3.9 speaks to that. Number three, this is another important principle. Our generosity follows God's example. Why did I put John 3.16 in parentheses there? Well, that's, that's, a, that's a verse about salvation, you know, for, for God so loved the world. That, because, listen, when you think of one word that defines God, And I know we could come up with a lot of wonderful words love, faithfulness. The one word that sticks out to me is the word gave. In John 3 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. One of the greatest attributes of God is that he is generous, he is a giver, he gave his only Son. For us. So when we are being generous, we're just following the example of God. Because all of us have been the wonderful recipients of the generosity of God. So we need to follow his example in being generous in different ways ourselves. Number four, giving is a spiritual discipline. That's what this passage is teaching us here. Again, in verse 7. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So the word excel there is a Greek word, parousio, which means excessive, superfluous, excel in this area. Don't be mediocre in this area. Excel in it just as much as you want to excel in all those other areas of faith and speech and knowledge. In complete earnestness and in your love for one another, excel. This is a spiritual area of discipline. Just as a point of testimony, John D. Rockefeller, at the age of 53 in 1892, was the wealthiest man in the world. He was the only billionaire on the planet in 1892. But John D. Rockefeller, by his own testimony, was a man who was wasting away with worry because he had so much money. He was making at that time a million dollars a week and he couldn't live with the pressure and the worry of all this money. And so in his, his story is that At 53, he was near death. He was living off of crackers and milk. That's all he could eat. He had an ulcer, was burning a hole in his stomach, and he was worried constantly. And then he went to church, and he understood the principle of generosity. And he started following the advice of John Wesley. Now, John Wesley said, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. And John D. Rockefeller made a decision right then. He was going to be one of the most generous people who ever lived. And he ended up being that. And he was a follower of Christ till the day he died at the ripe old age of 97. A man who was near death at 53 turned his life around physically, emotionally, spiritually because he understood, this is what God says about money. It's not mine. I'm not going to sweat over it. This is his. I'm just going to be a good steward of it. I'm going to trust him. Everything's come from his hand anyway. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. I'm just going to rest in that. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to be a good steward. I'm going to honor him. I'm going to be generous. And how the Lord honored his word through his life. So... In chapters 8 and 9, I'm going to leave you with, there are three sets of three, and I've only got a few minutes to do this, so I'm going to run through this pretty quickly. Three sets of three that he tells us here, and it doesn't really need much explanation behind it, so three sets of three. Here's the first set of three that he tells us here, between these verses I just read with you. Giving is a privilege. He says there in, in verse 4 of chapter 8, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. It is a priority. In verse 5, he says, And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then to us in keeping with God's will. And thirdly, it is a sign of spiritual maturity, because that's when he adds there in verse 7, As you excel in everything and all these other areas, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. So he's saying, when, when you excel in this area, you are going on to spiritual maturity. The next slide with a set of three is this, that giving should be done willingly, generously, and cheerfully. Willingly, generously, and cheerfully. These are the words that he uses here. In chapter 8, verses 10 to 12, he says, And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched By your completion of it, according to your means. God doesn't expect us to give beyond what we're able, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, he uses the word again, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Giving should be done generously. In chapter 9, verses 5 and 6. He says in verse 5, So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. And again, the word generous or generosity used eight times between chapters 8 and 9. And then thirdly, giving is to be done cheerfully. That's the word used in verse 7 of chapter 9. He says, Each man should give what he has decided to give in his heart, not reluctantly, Not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. The word cheerful in the Greek is hilaros. We get literally our English word hilarious from that word. God wants a happy giver. You know, if you ever give to this church, and you're just going, ah, I got to do it because I I really don't want to, but you know, it's in the Bible, I guess I got to do it. Please put it back in your pocket. Because God doesn't want it. And we certainly don't want to be the vessels of it. Give cheerfully. God loves a cheerful giver, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Now, by the way, that touches on the whole concept of the law. The law was about compulsion. You had to. Under grace, the grace of giving is you give because you want to. You give because you're able to. You know, under the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, the legal system was about obligation duty. Under the New Testament, when you understand what Christ has done for you and your heart is just overwhelmed with just love for the Lord and response to what he first did for you, then the motivation completely changes. It's not have to, must. It is want to, get to. It is a desire now. It's the cheerfulness of a relationship. It's not the letter of the law. So, let me just mention a word that I haven't mentioned up to this point, which is the word tithe. Tithe means a tenth. It's found in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, sometimes a couple times in the New Testament, but particularly in the Old Testament. And I hear people from time to time, they will say to me, you know, the whole concept of the tithe and giving a tenth, that's Old Testament, that's must, that's has to, that's obligation, that's duty. And I say to them, you're right. Please don't feel under obligation. Please don't do stuff under duty. The tithe is about duty and obligation. Guess what? We're under grace now. You get to. You're able to. You want to. Why would you want to do less than the law? As a basic principle, answer this question to yourself. Does grace do more or less than the law? Grace always does abundantly more than the law. In Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount, six times he talked about the law, and he says, you've heard that it was said, and every single time, without exception, he raises the bar. Even though he's all about grace, he says things like, you've heard that it was said, you shall not murder. But I say unto you, if you hate your brother, you're in danger of judgment. He elevated murder. That was bad enough. Now he's saying, I don't want you to hate anybody. That's the standard I've raised it to. Remember, he also said, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say that if you even look lustfully at a woman, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. He elevates. Now, I don't say this, and Jesus didn't say to put a burden of the law on us. He simply said, listen, just because you're living under grace now, don't shake off the law and think to yourself, I'm free to do whatever I want because grace, grace, God's grace. No. He says, now that you're under grace, you have a relationship with me. I want you to live in this love relationship, and I want you to understand that the heart is what I'm more concerned about than duty and obligation. So guess what? You don't have to do a tenth. You get to do more than that. Praise God. Amen? Amen? Come on, some cheerful people. You ought to applaud to that. Yeah. Now, again, I'm not asking for your money. I'm not begging for any money. Okay? This is all about a heart thing. So even though the letter of the law says a tenth, to me, okay, this, this is Gary speaking now. When I look at what the law says as a standard, that's beginning point for me. I don't want to do anything less than. I want to excel in the grace of giving. I don't want to use the law as an excuse to do less I want to look at the law and say to myself, thank God he did more. What can I do that is more? Last slide. Giving is an act of grace, worship, and obedience. Again, the word grace is used six times. Why is this an act of grace? Because again, it's not an act of law, it's an act of grace. It's an expression of worship. That's the word that he used in chapter 9, verses 11 and 12, talking about giving thanks to God every time you give. He says in verse 11, you will be made rich in every way. Now, he's not talking material to material. All right? Don't think when I, when I give, that I'm made rich materially. There are other wonderful ways we are made rich in life, and it may have nothing to do with material stuff. Okay? But... He says you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in what? Thanksgiving to God. It's a form of worship. But it is also an act of obedience because we want to honor God and being good stewards of what he's given us. And that's the word that he uses in verse 13 of chapter 9. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for Your generosity. I'm going to close by reading a little excerpt from a book that I got um, this week that was sent to me. David Green is the founder and CEO of Hobby Lobby. His son, Steve Green, was with us uh, last summer. He filled the pulpit for me. He was a friend of mine, and so his dad, David Green, was the founder of Hobby Lobby, and. David Green is one of the wealthiest men in the world. I mean, he's worth now, his net worth is $6 billion. Hobby Lobby employs almost 30,000 people, and he wrote a book uh, that just was published called, I'm not trying to hawk the book, I'm just going to read from it, but his book is called Giving It All Away and Getting It All Back Again The Way of Living Generously. Now, for those of you who may not know, the Green family, very devout Christians, love the Lord deeply. And there was just this one page I wanted to read from it, from a man who is worth billions. He knows a little bit what he's talking about, and he's lived by the principle of what Scripture teaches. I just want you to hear from a man that is, you know, a living testimony of God's blessing. And because he, David Green, has been so generous, he's just lived a life where you just can't outgive God. This is what he said in the book. He said, when we give to God, we allow God to open the floodgates of heaven, Malachi 3.10. Some Christians, I'm afraid, see the opposite. They think they'll wind up with less if they give. I see it in terms of future blessings. I need and want God's blessings on our family. As I give, it seems that He showers us with more and more blessings. Some Christians use the excuse, quote, well, you know, the money might not be used wisely. I'm not really confident that the church or some other ministry organization will make good decisions on what to do with these funds, end quote. To these people, I say, then find some place that will show good stewardship. Look for a project or ministry that God seems to be blessing. That's what we do, both in our personal giving and the corporate level. There are plenty of churches and ministries that are doing solid work and being good stewards of their funds. Let's stop finding excuses not to give. Instead, let's discover the avenues for giving that God has placed in our lives and tackle them with all the might of our generosity. With so many options to give in our advanced society, you'd think that giving would be off the charts. The truth is that we need to walk in the ways of our grandparents. Studies reveal that in the 1930s, church members gave 3.2% of their incomes. 3.2% of their incomes. That was during the Great Depression. It's not a very high number, but he says, look, back in in the 30s, during the time of the Great Depression, previous generations gave 3.2% of their incomes. He says this, today, with our much higher earning levels, the percentage of giving is only 2.6%. It is time for our generation to rethink our giving habits. I believe the best way to do this is to consider the great benefits of the promises of God. Quote. May we also grow in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in our love for others. And may we also excel in the grace of giving. Amen. Find the your
0: connection, run towards
1: your new life. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection as Pastor Gary Hamrick is teaching through the book of 2 Corinthians. If you're interested in hearing this message again or others like it, feel free to visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also download our mobile app so you can have these teachings with you on the go. That way you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies and you'll always have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Simply look under the Teachings tab. While you're there, feel free to take some time to learn about the church this radio ministry originates from, Cornerstone Chapel. We'd be excited to meet you if you're in the area. You'll find all you need to know about service times and other information on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc We trust you've been blessed by today's teaching in the book of 2 Corinthians. Keep reading on your own. You'll discover many things written years ago that relate to what you're going through today. We look forward to you joining us on Cornerstone Connection.
0: They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know, you're not alone.